Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program as we take you into the weekend. From inside the building, NRG Stadium, the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, Mark Vandermeer with John Harris. Joining you tonight, we've got a good one later on in the show, Johnny. Christian Kirksey from Uvalde. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're going to hear that. He was on Good Morning Football. Good Morning America covered this. Texans organization members going out to Uvalde last night, having dinner with the players as they have their first home game tonight. New uniforms provided and the news that the Texans on their helmets will wear Uvalde strong stickers. Very cool with Cal and Hannah McNair going out there. Lovey Smith, Christian, Kamu Grugier-Hill, among others. Very cool to see them out there and have that happen. And one important person, I mean, they're all important people that went out there, but one person it probably strikes at the, the heart of more than anybody is someone who went to Rob Elementary and is so well-respected in this building, and that's Roland Ramirez, who heads up mm. our... our uh, you see him, if there's an injury, you see him got on a field. Roland Ramirez is one of the the just... I, I, I can't say more about the guy, but he went mm. to Rob Elementary, and a day or two after the uh, the attack had happened, I had I'd forgotten he had gone to Uvalde. I knew he went to Texas Tech. And then I heard somebody say, oh, you know, he's from Uvalde. Went, oh, man. So I asked him, I said, you know, Ro, I'm going to regret asking this because I know this is going to drum up some hard feelings and, and, you know, some difficult feelings. I said, but did you know anybody uh, involved? Uh, I mean, I would imagine Uvalde is a tight-knit community. You grew up there. And he just looked at me and said, oh, yeah. And he started oh, yeah. listing off the number mm-hmm. of people that he – he knew that were impacted people that he knew lost kids and he's down there in Uvalde. And I know that's got to be really, really tough for him. So, you know, hearts go out to, to everybody in Uvalde, but obviously those close to home, a guy like Roland Ramirez who does so much for the people in this building and so much for us. I uh, just love the guy to death. And I just, I hate that his community had to suffer through, but love seeing the Texans and Nike. Nike did a great job stepping up with the uniforms and whatever else they provided for Uvalde High School as well. So um, one thing I, that stood out to me on a, a, a similar note but different, do you know, Did you in the pictures and, and the videos I've ever seen, did you see the name of the stadium that Uvalde High School plays in? Wait, what is it? The Honey Bowl. The Honey Bowl. The I honey like bowl. the Honey Bowl. Yeah. I happened to see that behind the scoreboard, behind one of the pictures, and I said, does that say honey bowl? Why don't and we I, have a honey bowl? You I know, know. We had a pool and weed eater bowl. Right. We can't get a honey bowl? Yeah. I mean, with all the different companies that make, you know, in Texas that make mm. certain types of honey, we yeah. that should be should be a bowl game. You know, if you like natural honey, you could call it the local honey bowl. Okay. Mm. Local bees. I, I yeah. don't know. Uh, there are many honey brands, obviously, but uh, that would be very cool. Yeah. All right, so we'll have that later on in the show. I want to hear some of that interview that Christian Kirksey did on Good Morning Football. They did a great job with it, and I think it's worth sharing. We won't share the whole thing, but a chunk of it later on in the show. Also, a guy you had your eye on in training camp as, let's just keep our eye on this player. This could be interesting. Jake Hansen, linebacker from the University of Illinois, who is now a Houston Texan on the initial 53. We will have a visit with him and that's fun, Johnny. I mean, this yep. is one of those players that we want to keep our eye on. We want to keep our eye on all of them, and we will. But Hanson, Blake Cashman, these are players we were talking about on Texans Radio before anybody else was, yep. and now they're on the 53. Yeah, absolutely. And, Jake, you know, it's one of those things in this defense, you better be able to run. And it was the first thing that stood out in watching Jake Hanson, watching him live. When I studied a prospect and studied Jake for the number of years he was at 
he was there at Illinois. It felt like forever, but um, which you know he's twenty four. I hated the fact that in twenty twenty one he went down with an injury because I feel like he was on a trajectory in twenty twenty one to to be drafted and potentially be drafted here because of the connection he has with with uh, with Lovey Smith. But you could see he could run. His change of direction was really good. I mean, just everything sudden and twitchy and saw the same thing in Blake Cashman. You could see that, and that was one of those things. He didn't do a lot in, in uh, minicamp and OTAs. He was still coming back from the injury. But you could see it early on, even in the first couple of days, that they weren't in pads. People always ask, well, what can you see without pads? I mean, you can see how guys move yeah. and how they run. Like, those things you can see. You can start seeing that going, okay, will that translate when they put on pads? I hope so. Because if they can run now and they can run when pads go on, oh boy, you might have something. So I, I wrote um, you know, my yearbook article about the the rookies. Every single year, we all have a you know the Texans yearbook comes out. You usually do the offense and you mm-hmm. do a Vandermeer's view, and then I do a, an article on the rookies. And so I did this article. I don't know how long ago we do this. Month and a half ago. Month and a half ago. Two months yeah. ago that we did this article. Yeah. And I did it on the drafted rookies. I did it on the nine guys they drafted and just focused on the draft and away you go. And a few days ago, Amanda, good friend of ours, says, hey, I think we should bring up the three guys that were undrafted and put them in there. Like, heck, yeah, because it's all one big rookie class. So you look at it like that. This counts. This counts, yeah. And for the first year since 2018, you had not just a rookie make uh, as an undrafted free agent, make the 53-man roster coming out of camp. You had three of them make it. And I think all three of them have got a shot to do something here in Houston. So I'm curious to see what Kurt Heinisch and Jake Hansen and uh, I always want to call him Carl Hairston, but Troy Hairston, uh, what those three are mm-hmm. able to do. They all met with the media, uh, and he'll meet with us. That'll be fun. We had a good time talking to him. Hairston's Chippewas played last night, lost to Oklahoma State. Oh. Backdoor cover, though, baby. Fire yeah. up chips. So yeah. there's that. But let's get to uh, some of that stuff. Look, I'm about to rant a little bit here, and that Uh-oh. is, it's funny, Mike Florio, I, I love this about college football. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter or where you're from, what you do. It just is such a passionate thing, and it it just seeps through everything. Like, he's obviously West Virginia guy, right? Right, right. right. And he was on fire last night about this game, the backyard oh. brawl between the Mountaineers and the Pitt Panthers. And I love that, really, because, you know, we're used to him being this NFL coverage guy, mm-hmm. and no matter what you think of him. But then you see the West Virginia love yeah. just permeate everything, and it was just funny. And he was right. they got to play that game every year. Certain games have to be yes. played every year. Longhorns and Aggies, I know they're going to be in the SEC now, so maybe we can get this done Finally, since the breakup of the Big 12, when the Longhorns stayed and the Aggies left. That game is going to happen sooner than we think. You know, who, you know who's known that all Ooh. along? Ooh. Our pal, Andre Ware. He has said it from jump that tech, when Houston comes into the Big 12, that Texas and Oklahoma are out. And I don't know, it doesn't really have anything to do with Houston, but it's just Texas and Oklahoma are moving on. Mm-hmm. So... I think by next year. That's just my gut. But I saw John Lopez tweet after the fact. In fact, I think I saw it this morning because somebody retweeted it, and he's dead on. That atmosphere last night at uh, Acrisure, formerly known as Heinz Field. I can't get used to that. Was 
incredible. It was great. It was incredible. And it was a lot of Mountaineer fans. I mean, they said it was the largest crowd of any sporting event in the history of Pittsburgh. It was in Steeler country. Okay. Three River Stadium. I don't think it held 70 for a football configuration. I can't believe Heinz Field has not had that or more people than yeah, that. I don't know. It was it was nuts. I mean, the drone shots and the overhead shots were just incredible. And you're right. Those two teams should be playing. Keaton Slovis ramped it up when he stood up at the pep rally and said, bleep West Virginia. Uh, and then after the game, Pat Narduzzi is getting on Scott Van Pelt about ESPN saying it was 75% West Virginia fans. And Ooh. it was just – that's what college football is about. It's about rivalries. It's about tradition. And, look, I, I understand more than – I mean, as much as anybody – that all this realignment stuff and the money that goes, like, you can't, hey, if these two teams go to this conference, this thing is going to be worth $1 billion. Like, what university is going to turn that down? Right. But you've got these non-conference games. Turn those into rivalry games. Make yeah, those non-conference games so important that teams are clamoring. Hey, remember mm-hmm. that rivalry that we used to have with you, Nebraska, and I'm Oklahoma? Let's play that Let's game every year. Let's do it again, although Nebraska is going to get floored. But... Do it anyway. Absolutely. Right? Do the rivalry games. Absolutely. Penn State should play Pitt every year. Penn State should play Syracuse every year for that matter. Maybe even Rutgers. Right. Well, they do because they're in the Big Ten, I guess. That's as good an opening week. I said in my tweet that week zero was a nice little soft open mm-hmm. within Nebraska, Lord Northwestern, out in Ireland. It was a nice little soft open. But holy smokes, Penn State, Purdue, incredible football game. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. showed it off at corner. He's number 20 in the Harris 100, which you'll see in a couple weeks. He he was incredible last night. It was a really nice night. You had the backdoor cover with with Central Michigan uh, at Oklahoma State. It was 51-15 going into the fourth quarter. Mm. It ended up 58-44. Don't <laughs> underestimate <laughs> the chips. Gundy had to be pulling his hair out um, of that one. But Pitt-West Virginia was a great game. Penn State-Purdue was a great game. How about this? I went 16-0 straight up. You did? 16 and 0 straight up. Very nice. 22 and 6 if you combine straight up against the spread and over under. Do you put your picks on footballtakeover.com? I, I do. So you can get the Friday games and then I got to get my Saturday games up there, but the Friday are up there. Are you so becoming you one of those guys? I've always been one of those Call guys. Call 1900 Johnny. No, I mean, people have always said that. I mean, Sean Sean Pendergast would sit with me when we did radio together mm-hmm. and Sean would say, "Okay, and he would Go through. Now he would do it selfishly, of course, but he would give me a game and say, "What's the spread?" And I would tell him the spread. What I thought every time that my guess was three, four, five, six, whatever it was, away from the actual spread, those were the games that he would fire on. Oh, and so he would selfishly do it, but I, he would say, "What's the spread?" And most of the time, I'd be within a point or two. And when I was off, he then would, he knew something was up. Then he knew he knew he was like, okay, wait a second. He's like, Vegas has this as this, and then he would say, does that make sense? I'm like, no, not really. And then he, those would be the games that he would end up he would end up uh, firing on. So I've never laid a bet, but I I know how to speak the language. And yeah, I, college games, I've all, I've been in tune to that from the time I since. What's the first time I got on the You're like Matthew McConaughey in that Al Pacino movie that yeah. nobody saw. Yeah. But it's about game. A lot of people have made money off of my off of me. Jeez. And now I gotta Friday make money picks. off of me. <laughs> you do your Friday picks. No, don't gamble. Not no, a good no, idea. don't gamble. That's it's not, fun. Yeah. It's fun just for uh, you know, fun entertainment purposes. I saw a buddy know, uh, light funds, but we're not allowed to do it anyway. So I know. I saw a buddy of mine that uh, posted a picture, Brent Martineau, who uh, covers the Jags in Jacksonville, and he had a 
he had a picture, you know, on Twitter. You can do those like four shots. He's got four shots of this guy, and he looked like he was walking in the Penn State Ly- Nittany Lion uniform uh, outfit in Jacksonville. Right. And he's like, hashtag Duval County. And I went, no, 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 no. That guy lost a bet. Lost a bet. He lost a bet, or he finished last in fantasy football. That's probably it. It's probably what it is. Because he's got real a- bets, you don't do that. That's a fantasy football that's loss a, That's punishment. your last place of fantasy football. I've heard some good ones. I've heard some good ones when you finish last in fantasy football. The tattoo thing is a, is a bit much. It's so much. No, you should never make somebody that's, do that. That's really hard. But... Uh, who was I talking to? I think I was talking to uh, Tyler Marcotte. The, the best one for finishing last in fantasy football was the guy that had to take the SAT. <laughs> he had to uh. sign up and take the SAT, and he had to do some illicit drugs prior to it. <laughs> so he had to go sign up and register, then do the illicit things, then take the test, and the guy did better on the SAT than he did when he was in high school. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> was, I think I would do better really now, good. Johnny. I think I have a better uh, attention span. Yeah. Since, uh, I think that's since probably then. true. So Learned a few things since. There's that. But uh, those games have to be played. And I think in the NFL, we need to do something here when you go to 18 games eventually because you know it's coming. Yep. The dream is still alive, Johnny, of having two designated rivals in the opposite conference. Two rivals. For the Texans, the natural rivals are the Cowboys and the Saints. Now, Cowboys has to be one. Yes. The other one is negotiable to me, Mm -hmm. but Dallas has to be one because a lot of AFC teams are going to say Dallas has to be our rival. So that if you have two, you can share Dallas as a rival. Yes. But I think the only other AFC team that could legitimately claim Dallas as a rival would be Kansas City. Yes, absolutely. Because they were the Dallas Texans <laughs> yeah, right. when they started. Right. And they were playing at the same time the Cowboys were. And a lot of kids, that actually happened, okay? In the 1960s, early 1960s, you had the Cowboys and the Dallas Texans playing at the same time. You know, Weird. it's going to be – you know, the NFL, college football, they still – I don't say steal ideas from each other, but they're always looking at each other for, hey, how'd that thing work for you? How'd that work for you? Well, the timing, I think, could be very interesting to your thought because the the ACC, I know, is doing it. They're doing it in 23, I believe, where they have three common opponents. They have three annual opponents and then they got a rotation with the other members of the ACC. So I don't remember it exactly, but I think North Carolina has NC State, Duke, and Virginia. They didn't Mm. give them Wake. They gave them Virginia, I I think. So those three annually. So that's going to happen, I believe, in 2023. So the NFL, so we're not going to 18 games for a little bit, I would imagine. I think the NFL will study that, watch how it works, see that it works, watch a number of other conferences go to a system like that where they have three annual common opponents and then everything else rotates, I think the NFL will look at that and say, you know what? We need to do that with those two games over the 16. And you keep Absolutely. it. You know, the other two games where you have some flexibility is within your conference, the divisions you don't play, the same finisher, right? right? So for the Texans this year, they're playing the AFC West, but they play the Cleveland Browns. Right. And they play the uh, Dolphins. Dolphins, right, in the other divisions because mm-hmm. they finished in the same slot as those teams. 
Maybe you could do something with those, but name a team. I'll, I'll give you their two designated rivals. Uh, Just pick one out of a hat. See, the hardest one to me would be the Seattle Seahawks. All right, so that's interesting. That is tough because they are the farthest right. geographical team of any in right. the NFL. In fact, I remember when I was living in Miami, when the Dolphins would play the Seahawks, everyone was saying, oh. was saying look at the travel between these two teams. Yep. And the Seahawks have a three-hour flight to get to their closest game, yep. which is San Francisco. But I would say you'd have to it, – ideally, it's the Raiders and the Broncos. Yeah, it's, the Broncos are the first one. Because yeah. you go the old AFC West here. You know, So if you had to go Chargers, you could. Because San Francisco is going to say, well, we got to play the Raiders, right? So yep. there's two that lay claim to the Raiders. But the Cardinals are probably sitting there saying – we got to play the Raiders. They're in Vegas. We're in Phoenix. We got to play the Raiders. So you get some issues there. The West Coast teams are tougher, but you know what? You're just going to have to fly. We'll work it out. It also gets tricky in the East because for the New England Patriots, mm -hmm. their NFC rival would be the Giants, right? Right. And I would say probably the Eagles. You could go Eagles with them. But the Ravens are going to say, we got to play the Washington football commandos, Correct. whatever they're called this week, and they'll probably want to play the Eagles as well. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. That, th that would. Th th it gets tough. The negotiations in those rooms would be very yeah. in the room would be very very interesting. How you put that? How you mm. would put that all together? Giants, they got to play the Jets, but then the Bills are going to say we got to play the Giants. Right. We're both New York, but right. the Patriots are going to say we have to play the Giants. You can work it out. Somebody's going to not like what they get, right. but that's just life. And I think it's got to happen. After watching last night, and I go. Back to this all the time. Watching Pitt play West Virginia last night, oh. I said, this has to happen at all levels. Because what do people complain about, Johnny? Well, it's all about TV, and I get it. It's all about mm -hmm. TV. we got to get eyeballs, got to get the money. Great. But they also complain about attendance. Yes. College football has yes. had a major attendance issue, Huge. right? You know how Huge. you solve that? Regional rivalries where people could actually drive to a game. It can't happen everywhere in the country. I get it. Right. But where you're close enough to drive, Pitt, West Virginia, anybody, it's 45 minutes away. Yes, you filled your building last night. That has to happen. When West Virginia plays Texas Tech, it's not quite as sexy right. to the Mountaineer Absolutely. fans. And even though Texas Tech, great, I know it's a Texas school, but you're in West Virginia. Pitt is more interesting to them. Do interesting things. It's pretty easy to help your gate. Make it work TV-wise, but you got to help the gate as well. Yeah. It's about the fans, isn't it? It's always been to me college football's one major issue and i always think about kansas state when it comes to this and that's not always fair because kansas state over the years changed a little bit and kansas state got burned there was one year kansas state decided to play north dakota state oh hey, we're gonna take an fcs uh school and then uh, and then north dakota state beat them uh in manhattan and that's always that's always gonna make for a you know appalachian state beat michigan and and i don't i mean I love covering FCS teams, and I know those games pay for a lot of budgets. We saw that with FAMU. FAMU went to Chapel Hill. They had 25 guys ineligible because of snafus in their athletic department with the academic side and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't that guys weren't, weren't getting the grades. They were just advised to take fewer hours than were needed, and so they had 25 guys ineligible going to, to oh Chapel gosh. Hill. But that game, they, there was talk about them canceling because they just didn't have enough players. They ended up getting in that game and fighting their tails off. It was really impressive to watch. And they got a slot receiver. I think can play in the league. Um, but the bet one of their best players, their best player, didn't play because he was on the ineligible list. Either way, I read that had they canceled the game, that they were gonna have to pay for this, 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 like four or five different things. Oh, it would have it would have flattened them. 
They said that one trip, that one game, pays 10% of the entire athletic budget. I'm not surprised. The entire athletic budget. So I, what I'd like to see, and I think, I think it was Bob Stoops I heard say this. He was asked about scheduling. He said, you should schedule a team that you feel like you can beat in non-conference. A team that you can beat, a team that might be on par with you, and a team that's really going to be a challenge to you. If you schedule those three in the, in the uh, offseason or for the uh, uh, non-conference, that, sh- that should be the way you do it. But a team like Kansas State back in the day when they were just trying to get the program going, and I understood it, they would schedule three teams that they could beat. And they would start the season 3-0. and Well, well eventually, prob- it paid off. And they, they still would hang on to a team that was from a non-conference, that, in non-conference that they probably shouldn't be playing. But then they started playing a few other teams uh, along the way as well, taking some games you know, up in Jerry World, et cetera. But that, to me, is the thing with non-conference games. When they decide this 12-team playoff, they have got to make the emphasis of, yeah, conference play is great, but you are going to get some sort of bonus or whatever, I don't know how you do it, for playing better non-conference well, games. That's very NCAA basketball tournament-like, isn't it? Yes. You know, where you reward teams for scheduling harder and a loss doesn't hurt you as badly because right. you lost to a better team than trying to play popcorn state, as John Calipari <laughs> would call it, and you're not going to do as well. Uh, Todd Graham. Popcorn when, state. When Todd Graham was at Rice, he said that, in an eight-game conference schedule situation, all right, you you have that. Yep. You have the four other games to schedule. You schedule two paychecks. Yep. Okay, so two, you're mm-hmm. going to get beat, but you're going to get the big check, and you schedule two teams you're going to beat, yep. right, in all likelihood, right? These are going to change, obviously. Yep. But so you split those four, and go ahead and split your conference schedule, and you're going to a bowl. Yeah. Hallelujah, I- right? So it's not easy to go 500 in your league, especially if you're a developing program. I mean, it's hard. It's hard in the NFL. People used to talk about, oh, you're 8-8. Eight and eight. When a 16-game schedule right. was prevalent. You're 8-8, eight and eight, you're 8-9. and nine. You know how hard it is to win eight games in the NFL? you got to be good. Yeah. And that means two other games you would have, could have, should have maybe, and you yeah. might have been a playoff team. It's that close. Well, I knew I saw this somewhere. I knew I saw it. Mm-hmm. College football going to a 12-team model, it is in. It's a lock. I knew, yeah. I, I, knew I saw that earlier today. Right. 12-team model starting in 2026. So when they go to that model, I thought I saw it, but I wasn't totally sure. So I wanted to make sure. W- weren't we all assuming this? This is a foregone conclusion to me. Sort of. Wait for 16. 16 will happen. Tonight. Well, it wasn't going to happen until Greg Sankey, the SEC, gave his thumbs up and his approval yeah. on it. But. We'll see what the how the how they figure out the twelve teams. There there was a proposal that we all sort of went, yeah, I kind of like that proposal for twelve. So that'll change things. College football is that that's the one thing. College football is always the last to adapt. Yet they're doing a few things, like the the common opponents, the annual opponents. That I think the NFL, to your point, when they get to eighteen games, they can look at those two above the sixteen and go, hey, we're going to follow what these universities have done and try and create geographic rivals that don't meet every year. All right, let me ask you this. And make them meet every year. Last night, West Virginia's not winning the national championship, right? Correct. Pitt's not winning the national championship, right? See, the playoff does not hurt the regular season to me. I agree. Every game is an event. Every game is special. It's football. You have that feeling. Everyone's going to watch. In the NFL, 
You'll watch your team. Your team might not be projected to go to the Super Bowl, but you're still living and dying with every snap. Yep. It's just that way. It's that big a sport. And I just think people have to embrace that and not worry about that in college football as you go to a 12-team playoff, which will become 16 because, you know, you're going to have a bye for the first goes. four or yep. whatever. So go ahead. Go to 16 eventually. You That's, will, and it will be wanted, more money for everybody. You know I wanted the 12 because I wanted the top four teams. I wanted, to to your point about the, the regular season, I wanted the regular season to matter because I just want it to matter. And if you have... If you have 16 teams, I mean, look, if you've gone through the history of, of the BCS and, and now the college football playoff, 16 and you looked at the rankings heading into the, the final week or whatever the case might be, 16 ain't beaten one. It's not happening. But the fact that one has to play an extra game, uh, you know, give them one through four, give them an opportunity to sit and watch. Now, where they play these games and how yeah. they incorporate the bowls and all that, that's going to be super interesting to me going forward. I could solve all that, but they have not asked me. Johnny, <laughs> let's get to let's get to Jake Hansen next, Texans linebacker, and Christian Kirksey, another linebacker who's in Uvalde, and he was on Good Morning Football. We'll hear that conversation. It's all coming up here on Texans Radio. Great to have you listening heading into Labor Day weekend. And a programming note, Labor Day, we will not be on Texans Radio. Back on Tuesday night at 6 as we'll begin week one programming. Sports Radio 610 has you all weekend long, as you know. Anyway, let's get to this. Jake Hansen from Illinois, linebacker, undrafted free agent, made the team. Johnny and I catch up with him. He's happy about it. Obviously, I'm uh, really excited to have made the uh, 50, initial 53-man roster and just trying to make an impact on this team any way I can. And uh, things have been moving fast, you know. Uh, and so I'm just learning the business and learning, uh, learning how the NFL works. Jake, there's so many different things. I mean, we talked about a few of those things the other night after the game, but – Where's your comfort level in in coming back from the injury from last year? I mean, nineteen and twenty, you play for Lovey, which we'll get to in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then twenty one, you get banged up. You had if you hadn't gotten banged up, you probably would have gotten drafted. Then you would have been required to go somewhere. You choose the Texans, but wh- where's your comfortability right now with where you are and and coming back from the injury you had last year? So I've I've uh, been fortunate enough to not have any setbacks. So my uh, knee feels great. I feel I'm. I don't even think about it when I'm out there. So yep. it's just a matter of staying on top of it and uh, as far as, like, body work and things like that. But um, I've been f- fortunate enough to be real healthy this uh, training camp in the preseason so far. So, Jake, you're from Florida. What led to the decision to go to Illinois? Honestly, for me, it was – I was – in high school, I was very set on being a Power 5 linebacker. That was uh, something I felt very strongly about. And – it was my only Power 5 opportunity, so uh, it was kind of an easy decision for me. You know, it's interesting. I don't think people would know this, and maybe you don't even know this, Jake, but there's been a long period of time where you look in the Big Ten, and there are Florida players all over the place. I mean, you look at Wisconsin. They got corners at Wisconsin. They're coming from Miami, and you'd think, wow, what the heck? But, yeah, the Big Ten comes down, and they get speed. And, obviously, Coach knew the Tampa area a little bit from having mm-hmm. been there and recruited you. Was he the one who recruited you, or were you there when he was there, when he got there? So I, he actually wasn't. So we had hired a, uh, a new athletic director. I signed my uh, letter of intent, I think it's called. Yeah. And uh, we hired a new athletic director like a couple days after signing day. Yep. And his first day on the job, he fired our head coach. So co- I was already signed when Coach yep. Smith got brought on. And a little bit like 
for a second, everything was crazy. I yeah. didn't know if I was going to go to Illinois. And then I heard Coach Smith was going to be the uh, head coach. And I obviously knew that he was the Bucks head coach recently. Yep. And then his time with the Bears. And um, so it was a no-brainer for me to stay with uh, Illinois after that. So take us through the COVID year, not the whole year, because we don't want to relive that, Jake. But you decided, <laughs> hey, you know what, I'm going to get that extra year of eligibility. Yeah. That process, what was that like for you? So it was a lot. It was a lot of different things. You know, it was the opportunity to. Uh, my little brother is actually at Illinois, and he was gonna. It would be the first time we'd ever been able to play on a team together. So mm-hmm. my little brother was walking on the team, and that was a big factor for me as well. And uh, Coach B, uh, Coach Bielema, right there right now. Mm-hmm. He was. He's a great dude, and we talked a bunch in that process and got into some arguments. But I mean, it was <laughs> uh, eventually going back was the right decision for just me and my family at the time. Jake, the one thing that. There's many things that stand out about your game, but when you put do the math, Lovey Smith was your coach at Illinois in 19 and 20. I think you led the nation in takeaways. And you're like, well, duh, of course a player from <laughs> Illinois is going to lead the nation in takeaways having played for Lovey Smith. But was that as much a thing as it is here about going and getting the ball and creating those takeaways at Illinois when you were playing in college for him, the same as it is here? Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely see the the similarities. Like, he, as soon as we got to Illinois, it was – it was preached and it was like taking the ball away was the was the main focus and our goal every play is to score on every play and I see the same things here in uh, in Houston and they do a great job preaching that and it's something that I've from the teams that I've been on I haven't been on a lot of NFL teams only one obviously right. but um, from the teams that I've been on and different coaches he harps on it the more than anyone I've ever met so interesting mm-hmm. all right so what's that linebacker room like what is it like to be with miles smith the linebacker coach mm-hmm. and the rest of the guys it's great you know uh coach miles does a great job with everyone and coaches us up coaches us hard and um it's it, like all the linebackers have been super receptive and like great um showing me around and being able to like embrace me as older guys and show me the rope so everyone i like i, I feel like i've been blessed to have such a good room and such good people around me is it weird that you know, you're you're coming from college, mm-hmm. you come into the NFL, and the roster gets reduced the way it does. Now you have the practice squad and everything, mm-hmm. but was that a strange thing to experience? It definitely was. It's something new and like just walking around the building on like final cut day is just kinda um it, it just it feels a little bit weird because you never mm-hmm. know like if you're gonna get a phone call and how it's how it works and it's you know, I I didn't know how it works, so I didn't know and Fortunately, I haven't figured out uh, how it is to get released. I'm hopefully it uh, I can remain that way, but I'm gonna do everything I can to keep it that way. So, how much did the comfortability with Lovey and with Miles, Miles who coached linebackers at Illinois, how much did that play into your decision to come to Houston? Oh, was it? I mean, it, for me, like after I went undrafted, I was hoping to get drafted, but yeah. um, went undrafted, and then as soon as Coach Smith and Coach Miles call. I was like, all right. Like I was talking to my agent, and I was like, hey, this is this is like a no brainer for yeah. me. It's we got. I know. I know what I'm going to get out of them. They're uh, great, great people. The same guys every day, and I think that's why we have a great relationship. So. All right. So you open against the Colts, and Lovey Smith has been very clear about how it's not just opening day. It's the Colts. This is a divisional mm-hmm. opponent. So since this is your first Texans game, I just have to tell you. I want this one bad, Jake. Like I hate the Colts so badly, and we we need this one. Am I going too far here, John? Well, I mean, you do. This should be part of the rookie education uh, yeah. model. I mean, it should be. This like, is our nemesis. Yeah. Like to win this game would be 
Like they're all big. They're mm-hmm. all big. But this is really special. No, I, week one against the Colts, it's it's huge division game. I mean, it doesn't uh, division games in the NFL are like essentially playoff games every single week that uh, you play them. So, or we're uh, trust me, I, I hate the Colts too. I'm buying mm-hmm. in on it, you know. Um, so I'm excited to get get some run week one. Jake, I've wondered this because uh, <laughs> crazy story, but I was watching I was watching Austin Deculus go against John Grenard in practice one day, and I was like, Deculus did a pretty good job, and I thought, wait a second. He actually played. They played against each other in college. Well, the running back that you're going to see week one, you played against him in college. Now, mm-hmm. he's obviously gotten better, but you've gotten better as well. What would it be like to see a guy that you faced in college a few times, Jonathan Taylor, and then meet up with him again in week one? So I guess it's a little bit of familiarity. Like, you know, I mean, he's always had a good line. He had a great line at Wisconsin. Yep. So that's all, that was always a challenge for us, the offensive line. And um, I, the, Indy has a great offensive line as well. And um so the, it's just similar challenges yeah. and similar things you have to focus on and prepare for i mean he's such a it's jonathan taylor but to you it's like well, i face this dude i mean does that sort of mentally help you a little bit in, pre- in preparation i think it definitely does because you look at what he did last year if you never like if you've never played him and you never uh it's, you're, you're a rookie in the league it's like, definitely i could see it and be like holy cow this is jonathan taylor like, right. this is the real deal but playing him at wisconsin it's, i know he's just he puts on his pants the same way we all do, and he's obviously a great player, and I have great respect for him, but uh, we're going to give him everything we can. Yep. So. You talked about why you went to Illinois. What college team did you grow up rooting for? So my dad played at uh, BYU. He's mm-hmm. All-American at BYU. So I, um, I I followed BYU pretty closely, actually. Okay, mm-hmm. so it was BYU all the yep. way. Uh, mm-hmm. Not one of the Florida schools. Well, I mean, I watched uh, – got to love when Tebow was at Florida, so yeah. I, I paid attention to them and uh, – I mean, I would probably say Florida more than any other school okay. uh, in, in, in the Florida area. Did you – I mean, you said you went to Illinois because you wanted to be a Power 5 linebacker. Did you consider BYU? Did you consider, even if they hadn't given you a scholarship, that, hey, maybe I'd be a preferred walk-on? Or was Illinois offered a scholarship and that was it? So, I had, I mean, I had scholarships at other schools. I sure. wasn't going to walk on at anywhere, really, right. for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but BYU told me that – I mean, they wanted me to walk on. And yeah. I was like, I got – offers scholarship offers i can't pass up somewhere else so it was a no-brainer for me was the power five thing for nfl purposes for one day being a professional football player to have that opportunity or was it more like i just got to be in one of those conferences so for me it was more just like power five was the the gold standard of college football and it's kind of changing a little bit now but um like i remember coming out and power five was like there was Division One. There's FCS. There's these different categories. But mm-hmm. then when you break them down even more, it's like Power Five versus Group of Five like schools. Mm-hmm. So power, it wasn't as much the NFL. That was always a dream of mine. But it was more the the distinction in Power Five and playing at the highest level that was available to me. Okay, this might seem like an odd question because you are you're still young. You're 22, 23. I'm 24 actually. Okay, 24. Yeah. So yeah, you're 24. You're like you know half our age. Um, if you weren't playing football, what would you do? That's a great question. Um, I like in ten years, fifteen years, when you're yeah. done, you want coach, I, you want to be in business, you want to be an accountant, you want to be a rapper. You know, not a rapper. <laughs> I can uh, I can uh, say that for a fact. But um, I would probably say I would probably dabble in coaching and see how I felt about it. It's always yep. been interesting to me, and um, like football has been my life yep. for my whole life, and so I, I would say coaching, and then. See how that goes, and then maybe I'd go into corporate America. I'm not yeah. really, I'm not really sure. So, 
hoping the football thing works out for a while. Yeah, we're so. hoping the football <laughs> well, yeah. thing works out too. Just the coaching aspect is is kind of interesting. Just the way you talk about the game and the way we watch you play, it feels like you're playing a game of chess out there. Then you add in your speed, and it's like, whoa, okay, you you could be playing this game for a while. But it, it looks and sounds like you talk like a coach, like you understand the game. Where did that come from? That come from you and your dad growing up, just your innate ability, just what you see, how you see it from you know Coach Lovey and Coach Miles. Where does all that come from? So I would say just like. At a young age, my dad was always – I was always watching football with my dad, and he he was always a coach in youth, and so I felt like I was able to develop some instincts early on through then. But then, uh, obviously, working with uh, Coach Smith and Coach Miles at, uh, at Illinois was, it was a lot of my developing years into, like, understanding the game and, like, understanding what, how, like, the defense pieces together and how offense is going to attack you. So I would say that, like – the higher level football sure. was definitely at Illinois and in college. Yeah. Um, learning from Coach Smith and Coach Miles. Jake, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck on opening day. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys. There's Jake Hansen, linebacker for your Houston Texans. Now coming up, another linebacker. That would be Christian Kirksey in Uvalde today as the Texans organization stepped up for that community playing their first home high school game tonight. Let's listen into his conversation with Good Morning Football today. That's good. You're going to hear it next here on Texans Radio. Okay, we're going to send you into the weekend with this, and it's all about hope. It's all about a community pulling together. We talk a lot of football here. We talk all football here on Texans Radio, but sometimes elements of life are much bigger than that, and obviously what has happened in Uvalde is certainly that. Johnny talked about athletic trainer Roland Ramirez for the Houston Texans being from Uvalde, having gone to Robb Elementary. The Texans organization pulled together and decided to go as the first home football game will be played tonight in that community. And several members of the organization, led by Cal and Hannah McNair, Lovey Smith was there, Kamu Gruje Hill, and Christian Kirksey, who appeared on Good Morning Football, that's the morning show on NFL Network. Good Morning America also covered it. And Kirksey visited with the crew of Good Morning Football. I thought this was really great. They put it out on their social media accounts and on TV. Let's listen in as Christian Kirksey talked with that show. First and foremost, uh, I'm honored to to be a part of this, uh, something that's bigger than myself. Uh, I just thank the, the Texans organization for allowing me to come here. And uh, the city of uh, Uvalde for, for allowing me to, to see everything that's going on and be a part of it. So yesterday, um, Lovey Smith, myself, and Carmel uh, Bruja Hill, uh, we got a chance to surprise uh, the high school uh, team. And uh, we just got a chance to sit down, get to know them, um, eat uh, dinner with them, and just get ready for them to gear up and uh, play tonight. And it was just special uh, to see the smiles on their faces uh, because we know that this city was, was impacted uh, drastically. And, um, you know, being a leader and, you know, not just being a football player, but being somebody that can be an extra shoulder to lean on, man, it, it definitely uh, warms something in my heart. And uh, we're just excited to be here and uh, honored to be here. And we're just going to be here with the city and let them know that we support them in every way. We're going to be here for them. That must have meant so much to them. You're not from there. Lovey Smith is not from there. But for you guys to take an effort and be there for them last night must have been incredible. But you did not head back to Houston. You are still in Uvalde. What are the Texans doing yeah. today to what do they have planned for the football team? So uh, today we actually surprised them with new uniforms, uh, which is uh, super cool. The kids are excited. Um, they're going to uh, play in their uniform tonight. 
uh, get a chance to go out there and just have fun and, uh, you know, escape life. You know, go out there on the football field, play with their brothers, and just enjoy. Uh, right now, as you can see in the background, uh, we're at Rob Elementary right now and uh, looking at the memorial, man, it's it's um, definitely um, something that's hitting home for us just for them to be a part of our community. Um, just in the state of Texas, uh, we're all responsible for, for being a helping hand and, and helping out wherever we can and just walking around and just seeing how the city was affected. You know, uh, a lot of help is, is needed. And uh, that's what we're here for, and uh, that's what we're going to continue to do. It's incredible that you're doing that, this horrific shooting that occurred earlier this season, and now you're still there honoring it, and it doesn't stop there. The Texans will wear Uvalde Strong helmet stickers for the season opener against the Colts. There's a shot of it right there. Listen, we're all parents here at the table. You're a father of two children. This must be personal for you. It must change your perspective on so many things. What happened in Uvalde? How has it changed your perspective when you go to work on the football field? You don't take don't take life for granted. Uh, you don't take the, the the opportunity that you have to affect somebody's life uh, positively, um, and you have to love each and every day. I mean, you know, me being a parent of two, uh, it reminds me to to tell my children that I love them every day, um, to be a, a good civilian, just to be a good person, and understand that you know real life happens outside of football. You know, and uh, we're called to be leaders, and we're called to to set an example. Uh, for people to walk their daily lives and just be loving and, and encouraging people. And, you know, with this tragedy happening, it just re reminds you that we have to lean on God uh, in, in, in these times because these families, they're, they're affected not only in a short period, but for the rest of their lives. And it just reminds you that, that, that life is precious and that we have to love on one another and nothing like this should ever happen. And uh, we have to just, you know, remind people that things happen and, and, and incidents happen and something is happening out of our, out of our control but remind each other daily that, that love conquers all. And when you have that and when you show that, it's, it's a special thing. So, you know, my heart goes out to, to the families that were impacted and the city that was impacted. And uh, Houston, Texas will definitely be involved. Great job there by Christian Kirksey appearing on Good Morning Football on NFL Network this morning. Good Morning America also covered the Texans organization's visit to Uvalde. New uniforms provided for the team. And the Texans players will wear that helmet sticker of Uvalde Strong on their helmets all season long. Where else would you wear a helmet sticker? Anyway, a fantastic visit out there. And you're going to read plenty more about that on HoustonTexans.com. And a lot of local media covered it as well. Well, this is the last off weekend of football we're going to have for a while. Obviously, the Texans have a bye week, but it's all NFL all the time. Next Thursday night, the league's opener with the Buffalo Bills visiting the Rams. And then it's all the week one stuff Texans, Colts, September 11th, noon kick, NRG Stadium, and tickets are available at HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app. And by the way, all sorts of different ways to get your ticket packages done. So go to the website to learn more information about that. That's going to do it for our program tonight. Thanks to Jake Hansen for being on, obviously, the Christian Kirksey interview. Johnny Harris, as always, don't forget you can hear this show on the Texans app momentarily. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans!